Hello, and welcome to the PlayStation Report, episode 101. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm okay, how about you? I'm doing alright, I'm, hold on, I, I don't know what just happened, I, I'm not sure if your audio's here, hold on, I'm gonna, gonna do a quick switch up here, there we go, and you're back, hey, there you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Wahoo. 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 It's episode Wahoo. 101. Our first palin. Well, our, you know, I don't count double digit palindromes because that's just like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's dumb. dumb. That's dumb. But we got a three digit palindrome. And, you know, from now on, I think we should do some things for palindromes. I'm thinking okay. we reverse the show order. Because palindromes, you know what I, I I thought actually recently is that it's a damn shame that a pa- that the word palindrome isn't a palindrome like the word for palindromes isn't a palindrome because that hmm it it is a yeah. damn shame that's that's all mm-hmm. I'm gonna say about that missed opportunity it is but uh, episode one on one gonna teach you a thing or two. Hell yeah! I'm sit you down, have you the have you the talk about the balls and the sex and the boobs? Yes, absolutely. The balls, the sex, the boobies, all of that included here on this family friendly show called the PlayStation Report. Are you sure about that? We're not family friendly. No, no, definitely not. All right. Well. All right. I see. I don't know what just happened. I. I I may have screwed up the show. The brain fart. I may have made a brain fart because when I switched the scenes back and forth, it might have played the video again, which means people got a double dose of our intro while we were talking over it. But that's okay because it's palindrome time. We're going to get to some near talk later. At the end of the episode, we're going to have a little bit of a spoiler cast there as you have played that video game. You're making faces over there. You're making faces. What's weird? Am I sounding no. weird? <laughs> no, nothing's you, weird. I'm just you have you have along. to tell me if I'm sounding weird. No. Okay. You're fine. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, we'll get we'll get to all that stuff later. But we're gonna reverse it up here. We're gonna start off with the new games that came out this weekend. There are quite a few new games that came out this week. Um, some a lot of VR games actually. I've, I've, I've looked through this list. There's VR games. There's some nice little indies. Um, nothing, like, huge, though. Like, it's this is a week of small games. Come on, man. There's one just a really huge game on here. Oh, you're right. You're right. Monster. There's a Monster game and a half. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Sure. There's a game and a half, and then a couple of smaller things. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll let let's break it down. Let's All right, let's let, let's go. There's a game of the year candidate. Okay, here. is it Crossing Souls? Uh, no, it's not. Well, let, let me tell the folks about Crossing Souls. <laughs> Crossing Souls is a PlayStation Four game that I played at PSX, and the way they describe it here is. It's 1986 in California. A group of friends discover a mysterious pink stone that allows them to travel between two realms. This gang will live the summer of their lives in an adventure that will get them involved in a government conspiracy. What is this game? Um, it's, it is a retro-style adventure-type 
anything. I mean, it's it's a top down game. Um, I don't know. It's it's just got a ra- groovy style, but it's I don't think it does anything necessarily unique gameplay wise. It's kind of like a top down game where you do some combat and stuff and you go through this story, which from all accounts, I'm hearing the story's pretty all right. And mm. the short bit that I played at uh, at PSX, I couldn't tell if the story was good, but the, at least the writing that I encountered was pretty pretty cool. Right on. Next up is CubeWorks, PlayStation VR. Welcome to CubeWorks, a VR game designed to challenge the player's spatial manipulation and problem-solving abilities as they advance through various stages in a top-secret laboratory. Ooh, wonderful. That sounds good. But we've got another VR game up next here. This this is a Game of the Year candidate right here. This is fucking good shit. Drunken Bar Fight. Hell yeah. On PlayStation VR, Drunken Bar Fight is a simple, immersive, silly, rowdy party game. Take turns throwing bottles, darts, chairs, tip jars, or anything else you can get your hands on at opponents. I love that Drunken is spelled wrong, but... This this game is amazing. Uh, when you watch someone play this game, you, you just smile on your face the whole time. It, it's such a ridiculous game. And I wouldn't even classify it as a good game by looking at it. Like it, it no. doesn't look like a good game, but it looks like a silly fun game. Yeah, exactly. Dynasty Warriors Nine. Oh, PlayStation Four digital and retail. I think this is the game of the year, Ken. That I was talking really? about. Really, experience the thrill of one versus. One versus thousands in an all-new open-world setting. Ancient China is depicted on a single vast open-world map. Also, while maintaining the series' intuitive controls, we have included a new Muso action system where you can experience the thrill of one versus thousands like never before. Great. This game looks really bad. Yeah, it's like... I don't know, man. This It's a... It's a it is a darn shame, as as I as I like to call a lot of things that are bad. Yeah, I'm trying to find new ways to th- call things bad. But well, I, the thing is, with like I, Dynasty Warriors does not need to go open world. It just really doesn't. What Dynasty Warriors needs is to have these nice, well thought out levels that feel really dense and just visually impressive and all sorts of shit. That's what it needs. It doesn't need to go open world. Its gameplay isn't that exciting to go open world. But also make the game run properly. Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, I've seen frame drops down to uh, the teens. Jesus. That's that's what some players are experiencing now, even on the PlayStation 4 Pro. Yeah, I think, too, this is the first proper Dynasty Warriors game on these new consoles. Well, technically not new anymore, but uh, current generation. I think Dynasty Warriors 8 had... Uh, was ported over to PlayStation 4 and I know it like ex- they always do like spin-offs like they have the Extreme Legends and that stuff and I know that was on PS4. Yeah, I mean yeah. they've been busy making like Hyrule Warriors, mm-hmm. Fire Emblem Warriors. Yeah. Yeah, and man, 
I used to play Dynasty Warriors all the time as a kid. Like, th- this was one of the franchises that I just grew up with. I fell off hard with... The last one I played was 6. And that was the first one on, like, 360 PS3, I think. Um, but Dynasty Warriors 4 and 5, I played nonstop. Like, I think I did just about everything you could do in those games. Play as every character, just beat the shit out of everything it was fun it's fun as a little as a kid to go through these games because you you feel that sort of power fantasy of going into an epic battle and you wipe out thousands of dudes and all kinds of stuff you know anyways yeah i mean that's it i wish it were better i i for for your sake i wish it were better but yeah we can't dwell on that we got to get on to the next game here. All right. So it's called... I, I was just checking out the stream on my phone, making sure everything was going through correctly, because I just remembered last night I had a problem while trying to stream some Hearthstone. The audio got all fuckity on me, so it's we're good. We are very good. Cool. But I need to tell you about The Fall Part 2, Unbound, on PlayStation 4, digitally. You are an AI that has broken free of your shackles. Now a human user from across a global network has attacked and infected you with an error redacted. Make a new rule. Save yourself. Hunt them. End them. Do anything. Use anyone. Become unbound. Jesus. All right. Next up is Faye. I believe I believe that game is called Iron. Jesus Christ. <laughs> go go home. Faye is a new type of platform adventure where the story is up to you to discover without handholding, told wordlessly through discoveries you make during gameplay. This game looks visually extremely impressive. I think reviews are starting to hit. The only one I've seen so far is IGN. They gave it a 6.5. Oh, all right. Said it's an okay platformer, but the things it does well, it does, is is underused. Okay. In in some other things, so. But still, I mean, it, it looks neat. This is one of those like EA original games mm-hmm. where like all the money's going to go back to the team and EA, but EA funded development. Basically, it's something to just make EA look really good. I think, but you know, there's some neat things coming out of it, like Faye and a way out coming out pretty soon. So. Cool. Yeah. Next up, Guilt Battle Arena. In this frantic 2D couch combat game, you have one bullet to fire at your opponents. After firing your gun, you must rebound your bullet before firing again. Gotta box out, get those rebounds. Mm-hmm, that's interesting. Next up is Kingdom Come Deliverance. PS4, digital and retail. You're Henry, the son of a blacksmith. Thrust into a raging civil war, you watch helplessly as invaders storm your village and slaughter your friends and family. Narrowly escaping the brutal attack, you grab your sword to fight back. Avenge the death of your parents and help repel the invading forces. Seeing some interesting things about this game as well. It's trying to be like a very hardcore medieval RPG, you know? Yeah. I have some problems with it and it's create. Well, not this. Ne- I not necessarily the game itself. I can't really speak too much to that. I mean, 
it is what it is, but I have some I have some problems with the with the creators on this one. Some some political problems here where they try to justify the lack of diversity in their game by saying, oh, it was all white people back then in Europe. And that's not necessarily true. Like it's just it depends what history you're reading. If you if you want to believe the one version of history, I I don't know. It's 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 really weird and messy, and I'm I'm just trying to stay away from it. Yeah, it's that's that's a little weird because yeah, it how it wasn't like it's not true. I mean, it might have been overwhelmingly white, but it still isn't true. Hell, you know what I mean? Like even recently, they discovered like the first uh, English people were darker skinned. Hmm, it's interesting. Like, did not know that. It's a thing. Like, yeah. but some people like to choose to believe one version of history versus another. But hey, I'm, I'm not going to get too into that. That's that's for my Twitter feed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a video game. Um, it is. We got more VR stuff, believe it or not. Next up is Knockout League. Welcome to Knockout League, an arcade-style boxing game built from the ground up for VR. How do you feel about beating people up in VR? You know, it could be cool. You know, it's probably janky as shit like a lot of VR. Yeah, probably. But YOLO. Next up is the longest five minutes on Vita. That's what she said. In the longest five minutes, you play as the hero flashback as... As he is, as, as he and his friends battle the evil demon king. Mm, okay. Vita lives. It does indeed. It's actually the six-year anniversary of Vita today. Really, today? I think so. I think mm, I saw something on Twitter about it. People celebrating the six-year anniversary of it. Hmm. I, you, look it up and verify while I read I this will, next I one. I will fact check your yeah, ass. Please fact check me. Um, especially all of you out there on the internet. Because I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mahjong Carnival right now. The most beautiful places of the world will spin you around the melodies of carnivals and leave you with impressions of visiting famous festivals. Complete 120 unbelievably entertaining levels and spend more than eight hours traveling around the most amazing places of our world. What'd you find about the Vita? The PlayStation Vita was released in Japan on December 11, 2011, with releases in North America, Europe, and other worldwide regions starting February 22nd, huh. 2012. Well, it looks like some people on on Twitter were celebrating a little bit fucking early or late, yeah. depending on... Hmm. That's really weird. I do feel... Um, I'm thinking something else. I'm like uh, something launched on the fifteenth. That was PlayStation related. But maybe I'm thinking of the actual PS4 launch, which was November fifteenth mm. of 2013. Man. Anyways, tell us about this next it. amazing fucking video game, Monster Energy Supercross, the official video game, PS4. 
digital and retail. Live the adrenaline and excitement of the 2017 Monster Energy Supercross Championship. Race on official tracks, Daytona included, with the official riders from the 250SX and 450SX to experience one of the most spectacular and entertaining racing competitions ever. Mm. Do you watch Supercross? You know, if it's on TV, I'll stop and like turn my head a little bit and look at it for for a moment. But I never like commit myself to watching. Yeah, me either. There's probably at least one time per year where I actually watch Supercross for maybe five to ten minutes max. And then I go, all right. Sure. You know, Supercross would be a cool thing if I had to go to like a, a somewhere to do my laundry. Like if I'm if I'm just sitting there waiting for my laundry to get done, that seems that's it seems like a thing to watch during that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's a weird thing because it's just like all these bikes just jumping up on hills and swerving around and dirt and all that like all the time mm-hmm. and that's all you hear oh yeah you know it's nothing consistent it's just like and like you never know if anyone's really gaining on each other and it's just it's it's a weird fucking thing and then they get next to each other and then like they punch each other in the face or something not really but in the good video games they do that <laughs> yeah I think that's what would take Supercross to the next level, though, is, you know, let's put the drivers in maybe a little bit beefier suits or something to protect them. But when they get next to each other, it's fair game. It's like hockey. Like, I'm just going to punch you off your fucking bike, dickhead. You know? Yeah. Just don't do it while while you're in midair. You know, one person would take it too far, and when they're like twenty feet up in the air, knock them off, and then they're fucking. Or do dead or do one of the do one of those tail whips and just grind someone's face off with a tire. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, see, that wouldn't be cool. But if like you're just going around the corner, you just shove you're just someone like, off. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. Like that. That that's fair game. Okay. Okay. We need we need to know. define the the rules of the sport. <laughs> yeah. But not before I tell you about Pinstripe. Another video game coming out this week. Explore six hauntingly beautiful levels of hell. Using your slingshot to fight your way through bizarre beasts and interesting puzzles. Oh, man. (laughs) Next up. The, well, uh, this art here for Pinstripe is reminding me of Don't Starve. Just a little bit. Maybe it's the coloring. Let me open a tab and see if it's from the same. I doubt it's from Clyde, but we'll see. Yeah, I I doubt it. Uh, While you do that, I'm going to tell people about Pop-Up Pilgrims, PlayStation VR. Put on your PlayStation VR headset and use the simple controls to guide the pilgrims around each beautifully drawn stage. Hmm. All right. It isn't made by the same people. Just putting all right. Next up is Shocked. 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 It's very German. Shocked is a fast-paced 3D platformer set in a sci-fi interstellar battle zone. In the highly competitive gameplay, you have to run against yourself, your friends, and against strangers from all over the world. Oh, boy. 
I am shocked full of secret of mana on PlayStation 4. Oh, yeah. Digital and retail. Originally released in 1993, Secret Mana is by far the most popular title in the Mana series. Now it's finally getting a long-awaited full 3D remake. Mana or Mana? <laughs> or Mana? Or Mana? Definitely not Mana. No, 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 no. <laughs> Secret of Mana. That's what I say. Mana. But man is in in is in the title man. Uh, man. Uh, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm not like, saying you're you wrong. I, no, well, it's an eventually game. Yeah. See, I thought you might have bought this because it's Square Enix. I wouldn't. Enix t- and it's I wouldn't tell you if I bought it because you just bust my mm, balls. You're full of shame. <laughs> you just bust my balls about me buying another Square Enix RPG because you know that's what I like, and you like to bust my balls about the things I like, which is okay. You're allowed to do that. I only bust your balls because of how many you have, just like open ended. You know, like. So many RPGs just like out there. It's like you gotta you gotta experience it, and you gotta know when to call it quits. But but so so many of these are just bought and started. You know, I don't know what you're referring That's to all at saying. all. Um, do, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk like about slice. You know once. what? Screw screw off. I'm gonna talk about <laughs> slice dice and rice. Dude, that is a fucking great. It is name. an excellent title. <laughs> One Clean Hit Kills, Slice, Dice, and Rice is a fighting game with no health bars. It revolves around the idea of finding an opening in your opponent's defense and ending the round with a single clean hit. Kind of like Bushido Blade, in a way, in that. Yeah. Except it's Sprint Vector, PlayStation VR. Sprint Vector is the ultimate competitive VR game, a multiplayer adrenaline platformer that merges the physical thrill of athletic competition with the unhinged energy of a crazy game show. This is a fun game. I've played it at PSX. It's a fun game. You, you basically you pull yourself. It uses the move controllers and you kind of like pull yourself along. And, it, and you can like launch yourself and stuff. It's, it. I think it's pretty cool. All right. Um, the last game on the list. Hmm. Have you ever wanted to experience True Fear? Well, you got True Fear: Forsaken Souls Part One here on PlayStation Four. True Fear Forsaken Souls combines the best of the psychological thriller with intuitive gameplay mechanics for a mind-bending mystery escape game. All right. You can also listen to the Shadow of the Colossus playlist or the Black Panther soundtrack. You going to go see Black Panther? Dude, I am I'm stoked for Black Panther. I I'm going to try to find some time this weekend and go out and see it. Yeah, we have see we have tickets to see it Saturday. However, Mother Nature is fucking insane up here right now. It is 66 degrees outside right now, and it's supposed to snow on Saturday, like pretty decent. And I'm like, what sense does that make? And then I think it's next Tuesday or Wednesday. It's supposed to be 70 degrees, dude. So like, what the fuck is going on? Global warming is real, bro. Man. What the hell? Yeah, climate change is a motherfucker. 
It really is. It's crazy. Uh, there's a triple banger of fucking movies if you want to watch them. You can watch Coco, which is apparently pretty good. You can watch Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which I want to see and has gotten a lot of Oscar nominations. Or you can watch the movie of the year, Justice League. Justice League was Phenomenal. all right. That's, that's about as high as it can go. It's about all right. I agree. I, I watched them like it's all right. I'm interested to see Aquaman. Yeah, me too. Mm. All right. Well, interesting. That's stuff. it. I've been using my PlayStation View to watch the Olympics. Yeah, it's been fun. Is it a good viewing experience? Yes, it is a good viewing experience. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for just throwing that in my lap. All right. Yeah. Mm. Um, you may have noticed there were a lot of PSVR games coming out this week. Well, I think four, four PSVR games. I think I counted. If you want to get a PSVR, they're going on sale here starting uh, February 18th, going through March 3rd. You can get a PlayStation VR unit for $200. Damn. $100 price cut. That is pretty damn good. There are also some bundles uh, as well. Yeah. Yep. Like uh, with the Doom VFR. Uh, there's uh, what other bundles here? Let's see. Okay. So here's the VFR bundle comes with this headset, camera, VR demo disc, Doom VFR. Yeah. And then there's uh, a Skyrim VR bundle. Bethesda's VR experiments getting out there in bundles for PlayStation VR. It's kind of cool to see. Yeah, the Doom bundle is $300. It was $400. And the Skyrim bundle is $350 when it was $450. So pretty damn good, good, good stuff there. $200 for PlayStation VR is pretty on point. Hell yeah. So if you. I think this will lead to a big boost in VR sales for sure. We might be seeing a big boost of uh, lawsuits against video game companies in Hawaii. I don't know. Maybe. Hawaii, you've jumped, you put this in here. Uh, it's it's like they might do some legal things. How about you take it away? Yeah. So Hawaii, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. I don't really remember. It was when the whole... Star Wars Battlefront 2 hoopla was like at max height. Um, the Hawaiian state legislator, uh, you know, proposed that like, hey, we're going to investigate into these things and maybe do some legislation. Um, basically, that is now a thing. Um, so Hawaii, uh, the Hawaiian legislation goes a step further. The collection of four bills explicitly targets loot boxes and proposes comprehensive legislation addressing multiple areas of concern. These predatory mechanisms can present the same psychological, addictive, and financial risk as gambling, reads the bill's text. Um Basically, they have been spearheaded by 
Democratic State Representative Chris Lee, um, and he said, I grew up playing games my whole life. I've watched firsthand the evolution of the industry from one that seeks to create new things to one that has begun to exploit people, especially children, to maximize profits. Um, so, yeah, it's basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to prohibit the sale of video games containing randomized rewards or virtual items that can be redeemed to uh, receive a randomized reward to consumers under the age of 21. That is what they are aiming to do. Yeah, that's uh... trying to put some warnings on the box as well, um, basically saying – well, their bill outlines to say something along the lines of warning contains in-game purchases and gambling like mechanisms, which may be harmful or addictive. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, it, that's interesting because the ESRB itself only has restrictions for like the highest thing that they do was slap an AO adults only label on something. And that's just for selling selling to 18 and above. They don't have anything for for that so this would be a totally new weird thing that would be very hard to enforce digitally yeah i think digitally is where this just gets really weird and with the industry moving more and more digital like how how do you uh confirm this sort of thing um you know, because you could have the, the the parent that buys the game and feels that it's okay for the child that's 17 or 18 to play the game. You know what I mean? And it, like, how, how do you enforce that? I, I don't know if you can, but it is a pretty, pretty big step for this sort of thing. And having the government come in and legislate this stuff and it's it's it's. It's good and bad. It's it's good of like, okay, they see it's it's a problem. Just as everybody has talked about, you know, something needs to be done because obviously with Battlefront Two, things just got way out of control with this shit, and it needs some sort of regulation. I get it makes money, but it's also just a very harmful thing overall for the industry, in my opinion. But then. At the same time, it's like now you have the government coming in and saying what we can and can't do in our video games and in our purchases. And, you know, it's it's like I said, it's got it's good and it's bad. I don't know. It's not it's being proposed, so it's not like a thing yet. It needs to be passed. Who knows if it will? Um, there was also the uh, senator of New Hampshire said something like, hey, we got to watch and look at loot yeah, boxes and, and video yeah, they games. Were, and they were asking the ESRB, the ratings board for video games, uh, to start looking looking more into that and the tenants, the, its similarities to gambling uh, to properly rate that and find a way to properly rate and denote that on games that feature those kinds of things. Yes. Uh, the ESA posted a statement uh, about this whole whole shebang and said, as an industry, we take our responsibility to consumers very seriously and continually work 
to create greater awareness and transparency about the wide range of in-game experiences. We strongly believe that the industry's robust self-regulatory efforts remain the most effective way to address these important issues and that in that system has proven a has proven a long record of doing so some consumers and parents may have questions about how loot boxes work and ESA has demonstrated a commitment to providing information to guide consumers especially parents in their purchase decisions mm. a little bit more of a tame statement from the ESA I guess but at the same time like they they are one of the self-regulating bodies of the industry and you know they I you know they obviously don't want the government stepping in and saying this is what you got to do and doing their the job for them but something's got to change with this stuff like there needs to be some sort of warning label you know contains in-app purchases or, or something like that like the apple store is doing or you know transparency on drop rates and all that stuff like that stuff to me that's not asking a lot and it can go a long way you know yeah i mean the esa is kind of in a they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like it's really choose your enemy here. Who, who are you going to go up against? Are you going to go up against uh, go up against the government with this shit, or are you going to go up against publishers such as Activision, who have made four billion dollars in microtransactions in 2017? It's really it's really a pick your poison thing for the ESA. So at, honestly, you'd hope that they just do the more the morally correct thing. But who knows if the money is enough to draw them. But there's also the threat of the government swooping in. Who knows? But that that's a huge number yeah. for just Activision Blizzard getting four billion dollars of revenue from what they call in-game net bookings or microtransactions. That's just insane. Jesus Christ, four billion dollars. And, you know, and you wonder why these companies want to do this more and more Mm -hmm. because consumers just buy into it. You know, I mean, that's just that's just insane. But the whole problem is, is that now large AAA games that we pay up front for. They're being built around this sort of system, and this isn't some sort of tacked-on thing like it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like Battlefront 2 was inherently built around its microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Same with Need for Speed Payback, and it's like that's where it really crosses the line to me. But four billion dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, it's it is not a joke. Um, if you thought they were going away on their own, if you thought people were speaking with their wallet, there is clear evidence that they aren't. And it's not necessarily people's fault if you get if you have a tendency to be addicted to this kind of stuff. Yeah, I um. do you watch any of like the gym quisition? Uh, no, I, I, I haven't in a while. Yeah, uh, he his most recent episodes from Jim Sterling, and he 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 made a fascinating point, and this just made me want to bring this up and just more of a shout out to him. Like the title of his latest video was "Games Shouldn't Cost Sixty Dollars Anymore," and you go into it, and he's like, "No, they shouldn't be seventy dollars or eighty or a hundred 
not even 30 or 40. They should be fucking free because of how much money all these publishers are making off of microtransactions alone. You know, and he's not necessarily wrong. I mean, it is it is crazy the amount of money they're bringing in on just microtransactions. But then you also have game sales itself and DLC and deluxe editions and digital editions. And it's like you, you say games are expensive to make. And I get that. I'm not saying they're they're not. But like, fuck, <laughs> that's just got to make all the money. Yeah. And his point too is is like okay, we raise it to seventy dollars for game prices, you know, so we don't need microtransactions. It's just like they're just going to major publishers like Activision and EA are just going to continue to have microtransactions in them because they can make more money that way. I think it's all pretty pretty on point. Yeah, I there. I'd have to I'd have to read uh, listen here exactly how he how he said it, but I uh, I don't know, man. Like I guess yeah, sure. Maybe AAA games can take that hit. Maybe maybe that. But there's there's a lot of yeah, certainly not yeah, all I'm of like, them. It, I agree with you on that. And his style of bringing up these arguments does like you have to take some of some of that with a grain of salt. Also, just I don't know. I, I like Jim Sterling, but sometimes he go, he goes way in, in deep on it. And yeah, true. But yeah, I it's it's ridiculous. I think that's what, one thing that just makes makes him a little fascinating to just listen to, whether you agree or not. It's just like, all right, you were going all the mm-hmm. way with this shit. <laughs> At least he's not just like sticking his foot in, and just being like, all right, yeah, it's good. He's just fucking diving in. I wonder Yo. if uh, Activision will dive in try to cash out in the Spyro Trilogy remaster. Kind of mm, you know they can probably afford it. Just take, you know, just a fraction of that $4 billion and throw it at this. Why not? Yeah, uh, there's... It's happening. The dragon is being unleashed this year. Dude. We're getting a Spyro yes. the Dragon Trilogy remaster on PlayStation 1st. Not... Yeah, not confirmed yet, but basically it's, it's happening. <laughs> if it's on Kotaku, it's most likely. Yeah, they're, they're, their reporting is pretty good on this stuff. They don't just say this as a fact right. if they don't know. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, I am. It, I'm exciting. I, I'm, ex- I'm excited yes. for this. This is exciting. Spyro is a pretty damn good game. Yeah, it was. Who knows if it holds up? I think that's one thing that that I'm just a little bit more cautious about. But I'm regardless, extremely stoked for this. So they got, according to this, it's going to be announced next month in March, and it's going to release in quarter three, possibly September, because that's the 20th anniversary of the first game. Mm. But this will have the Spyro, the Dragon, Spyro, Ripto's Rage, and Spyro Year of the Dragon. It's pretty cool. In my opinion, the, the definitive order is two, three, one on okay. that. Okay. I don't know. What what you got? Uh, I don't know. I, I go back and forth with two and three. Uh, I like, I like three yeah. a lot. Both are, both are fantastic. And, you know, 
Spyro is such a, like a magical thing as a, as a kid growing up. I mean, it was Spyro and Crash for me, and Spyro's world was just fucking awesome. I, I, I loved everything about it and, and just flying around and fucking breathing fire and shoving your horns up some fucking mm-hmm. thing's ass. It's, it's fun. Extremely fun. And I just wonder if that gameplay will hold up. You know, I think it's easier to have, you know, like Crash Bandicoot's gameplay hold up just being a platformer and you just kind of refine a little bit. Like, I wonder what they're doing to Spyro. I'm not saying it's not going to hold up. I just think the chances of it not holding up compared to Crash is definitely not as good. But regardless, like at the time, I, I remember Spyro being like, wow, this is a pretty nice looking game back on PlayStation, like redoing it. Like they did uh crash bandicoot and Saint trilogy. Like, damn, I think that's going to be pretty impressive to see. Yeah. I'm, I, I was, I like, I stuff. was excited when I heard this was happening. And then I heard vicarious visions was doing this and I'm like, all right, they did, they did a solid work with that crash bandicoot. It was, they did. And I, I just hope, I hope the gameplay transfers over. I know it'll probably look good, but I just hope it still mm-hmm. feels and plays good. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm excited. I, I think it's it's something, you know, between both Activision and Sony. Like, yes, there's an investment to kind of remake these games, but it's not a massive, massive investment. And I think in the end, it'll just work out for them. Uh, and you know, all these things of like. When Crash Bandicoot was announced, it was like, all right, next is Spyro. And I'm just like, eh, probably not. You know, just because, you know, I think people were calling for Crash more than Spyro. But now it's like, damn, it's it's an actual thing. Mm, yeah, it's be yeah. cool. Maybe they'll maybe they'll make some of that money back with uh, loot boxes where you get to customize Spyro. Maybe. I'm I'm joking, but I'm also like terrified. That's what they'll do. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I certainly don't. But I do know that I'm excited for the Stardew Valley multiplayer beta coming this spring. Uh, there was a developer update. Uh, they're planning on doing a beta for the multiplayer, and I I'm excited for that. I have people that I want to farm with in Stardew Valley. I'll just dump more hours into that game and you'll never it's yeah. it's a never ending cycle like once you get started once you get hooked on Stardew man it's it's one of those games what would you do if Stardew had microtransactions I I, I mm, my soul would be ruined. Let's just my say soul would be ruined. Cosmetic only. Um, okay. Cosmetic only. Damn it, that would be worse because that's the thing I want. That's the thing I want. I want yeah. that. Yeah. But uh, like nothing to like improve any speeds or farming or anything like that. Like just cosmetic. Yeah, but oh man, I just wish there was a store in the game where you could just buy better clothes because that's the one thing I don't like as much about Stardew Valley is the customization is kind of bland. Hmm. Yeah, I I could have sworn that this multiplayer thing was already a thing. This no, was announced they, a long they time thought, ago. Yeah, wasn't they it? they were aiming to get it uh, done by the time the Switch release came out, but they couldn't do it. Damn, uh, it's coming first okay. to PC, and we'll see how it how it develops and comes to the other platforms. 
But yeah. Sweet. You want to get a little bit sad? Yeah. Why not? Hangar 13, uh, developers of Mafia 3, laying off some people. Uh, there's a statement from 2K. Uh, let's see. All right. 2K can confirm that there have been staff reductions in, at Hangar 13 in order to ensure that the studio's resources are properly aligned with its long-term development plans. These reductions will not influence 2K's ability to create and deliver its products that are currently in development. We never take these matters lightly, and we are working with the effective employees to support them and explore potential opportunities throughout our organization. But yeah, it's pretty much the boilerplate statement for when, oh, they're not working on any, they're not in the development stage where they need a lot of people anymore. Yeah. I mean, this this stuff comes in cycles. It's it's yeah. bad for the people who get laid off, but at least it sounds like, I'm not sure if that's just PR speak, it sounds like they're trying to find other jobs for them. But uh, it, it's video game development is a cyclical a, yeah, cyclical thing where like sometimes you need a lot of people working on stuff, especially when you're trying to market a new video game or something. But then sometimes you're not marketing a video game. You're just working on something that's not even a video game yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of how the industry goes. I mean, you you staff up to finish your project, then you lay people off, and it's a shame for sure. It makes it very tough to keep a job for a long time in the industry. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it's also also a sad thing. It's always sad to see this this sort of stuff when people lose their jobs, and also like, yeah, I don't know how like profitable the game was, but Mafia Three did sell pretty well. You know, it wasn't like a massive critical success or anything, but it did did sell pretty well when it when it released a few years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully it has nothing to do with that game selling. Yeah, it, it was a fine video Poorly, game. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a studio killer <laughs> by any means. No. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about continuous development here. I'm actually super excited. Well, I'll temper that. I am interested in Assassin's Creed Origins educational mode. It's going to be a combat-free mode where you learn about Egypt and the time period in which Assassin's Creed Origins occurs. I am... I think yeah. I think this is a really cool thing they're doing. This is amazing. Honestly, so this comes out February 20th. There'll be 75 tours that will be between 5 and 25 minutes in length. They will cover uh, Egypt, the pyramids, Alexandria, daily life, and Romans. Um, yeah, and it's also going to be standalone only on PC, though, for $20, which I think that's a pretty good idea as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting that it's not on console, so yeah. I, hmm. I, I might, I might I buy know. the standalone thing for my laptop, but yeah, I'm I, I like history stuff, like especially ancient history. Ancient history is one of the most fascinating things to me, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, 
it is bizarre, but also just awesome that they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, games haven't really done this sort of thing. And this goes with another story about Assassin's Creed Origins of like they recently said that they're going to focus on development of this game and bringing more content and updates to this game instead of making a whole new one, which is fantastic because you think about Assassin's Creed games. They would build these amazing worlds every fucking year and then just move on from it. You know, where like with Assassin's Creed Origins, they made the probably the coolest world that they've developed in this whole franchise yet in terms of detail and scope. And now they're like, you know what? Let's just exist in this world longer and just get everything out of it that we can. Adding this education mode. You know, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's a cool idea. Definitely. I'm glad that glad that they're doing that because we, we just don't need a game like Assassin's Creed every yeah, year. Yeah, it is. There's enough open world games and just massive games. It's like, just take your time, you know, two to four years or something. Take your time, make the games great, and, and you'll reap those rewards for sure because Origins has already sold like two times as well as Syndicate has sold. You know, it's sold really well. And I think it's going to continue to sell well as Ubisoft games usually do because they just continually invest in them. I uh, I think good. the thing with Assassin's Creed, though, like it, if you make one every year, it start it begins to feel like a chore playing through the new Assassin's Creed every year. I feel I feel like, yeah. like a two year cycle seems right for Assassin's Creed or maybe even a three year cycle. Yeah. Who knows? I, I feel at least three. Uh, but, you know, if you definitely, you know, more than one, one year. <laughs> You know, but three years just feels feels really good, I think. Yeah. But the game I've I haven't been keeping up with Assassin's Creed because of Monster Hunter. I'm getting and Capcom has enjoyed their success with Monster Hunter, their fastest selling Capcom game ever, shipping six million copies. Damn, dude. Amazing. It's amazing what they've done with Monster yeah. Hunter. How I'm so happy that it's caught on with a lot of people and that they're learning to enjoy Monster Hunter. <laughs> Unlike the person I'm doing this podcast with who has not learned to enjoy Monster Hunter, who makes fun of the PS2 looking bats with whatever. I mean, hey, judge me all you want. I just, you know, I listen to all these people talk about Monster Hunter. I'm like, that's cool. I have no ounce mm. of care in my body to play this mm. game right now. I was playing better things, Frank. Oh, better? Which we'll talk about okay. later. All right. So I'll, I'll concede that. But okay. do not ever <laughs> say that Monster Hunter World is not a good game. It is a fantastic video game, and I love it. Hey, I'm not I'm not saying that it's, that it's not a good game. Mm. I'm just saying it's not my okay. thing. Okay. And maybe those graphics could just be a little bit better. Okay from a distance you know you what know? it's really about the monsters that's my <laughs> argument i'll say it's really about the actual monsters not the other wildlife that you encounter yeah and regardless I'll talk a little bit i think it's cool that this franchise that has just been grinding it out for a long time now 
has finally really found some mainstream success. At least here. It's, it's always like, been big in Japan, but yeah. Right. Worldwide. And, and they released at the perfect time. Like if this game came out last fall or, you know, later this spring, I really don't think it would be enjoying as much success as it is now. Like it's just a perfect time for something oh, like oh, this yeah. to come out. Second year in a row, Capcom has put something out in January that has taken off. Yeah. And it's the third year in a row that a game that probably wouldn't have done well any other time of the year has really taken off of I think 2015 was dying light. Yeah, it's 2016. I don't remember. One of the years was dying light. Another last year, Resident Evil seven this year, Monster Hunter World. It's just a good time to release something Mm -hmm. like this. Because I feel like a lot of people take off during the holidays and stuff and they pound out a lot of games or something. They just want something new or, you know, a lot of the games are out by mid-November, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're just looking for a little something new. Let me tell you what, I've been pounding out a lot of Monster Hunter preparing to get my Aloy set of armor. Uh, Yeah. So they're putting out some event quests. Um, Let's see. I'm not sure when this update went out, but it ends on February 28th. You can do this quest to get the materials to craft the Aloy armor from Horizon Zero Dawn. It was a part of that crossover, and I will be doing that. As I have been playing a lot of Monster Hunter, Tyler, let me tell you what about Monster Hunter. I'm encountering these new variants of monsters. Yeah. I encountered the Black Diablos, which is the first... I want it. I think it was the first time that the game like truly surprised me and amazed me with like monster with the behaviors of the monsters and how they change as the game gets harder. So normally, normally the Diablos, it'll burrow underground and then like come up out of the ground and attack you like where you're standing. Like, and you can dodge out of the way by like just running away directly away from it or whatever. Now this black Diablos motherfucker, it'll do, it'll go underneath. But when it comes out of the sand, it is diving. It is launching itself out of the sand at you. So you can't just run in a straight line anymore. You have to like start running like in a circle as it's Ooh. underground. So that, that it was just a cool new thing. I like how they're adding behaviors to the monsters as like as you get to the higher ranks and stuff like that. I it is a fan it's it's a great way to keep the game fresh as you keep hunting the same things. And man, I'm I'm excited. I have to take tomorrow I'll be taking out the elder some elder dragons. They introduced like three elder dragons to me. And they're like, yeah, you're going to hunt each of these motherfuckers. And oh, man, I took out my first elder dragon, Nergigante. And he he's mean. He's very mean. So I'm I'm kind of scared of what the next three will bring. You uh, got some. Oh, I got some banging gear right now. I'm a little bit ugly. I'm a little bit mismatched because I'm trying to match up resistances and stuff and wearing whole sets kind of gears you towards one resistance and then having weaknesses Mm. because that's kind of like monsters like you're making them from the monster parts. So you'll have the same weaknesses as them. Mm. So, yeah, I like I, I I'm having so much fun playing Monster Hunter. How many hours you got? I've. I think I might have hit 80 hours. Mm. Nice. 
Don't talk about the one we'll be talking about later. Tell me about Overwatch. You played Overwatch. Yeah, I played that new year, the dog event. Tell me about a dog. Doggy dog. Um, yeah, I mean, it's cool. The, some of the skins are really nice. I like a lot of them. Contributing to that $4 billion? And, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if I did or not. I know somebody I that think did. I, I think I know um, the same person that did. Yeah. Um, so the new event brings back capture the flag and overwatch and capture the flag is pretty interesting and but they've made some pretty solid changes to it that i really like one they built a map a brand new map specifically for capture the flag so it's it's just designed really well like there's a lot of pads you can take all over the place there's high points low points all sorts of shit it's it's a really fucking cool map to play probably one of my favorites that they put in the game it's a smaller map too but it's got the right size to it so one thing that I like and it takes a lot of getting used to and you can and sometimes like when you've played, you know, four or five games and you know what's up and your teammates keep fucking this up in that when you grab the flag, you can't use any movement abilities. So if you're soldier, for example, you want to run in there, grab the flag and then hit the sprint button and run the fuck out. Mm hmm. But if you hit the hit your movement ability button, you just drop the flag. <laughs> so there were so many times where like our flag got dropped right in front of our point, and we had all we had to do was pick it up, and and the person just kept picking it up and hitting their movement ability and dropping the flag. It was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And you like yell at this person. You're not. You don't want to, but it, you, you you know a lot of people just learn mm-hmm. the hard way with that. Um, but but I like it and. And it was really interesting because we got to a point where we won seriously like four or five games in a row. We were on a, God, I don't even know, scoring wise, maybe like 11, 12, 13 point run uh, over multiple matches where we just completely squashed the other team and and uh, they didn't even score at all. And most of the, the points we scored were Roadhog. Actually, because Roadhog doesn't have a movement ability. He has a ton of health and he can self heal Mm -hmm. so he can eat a lot of damage. And and as long as we got there to cover his ass, even if he took a little damage, he could just hide around the corner, pop his health quick and just keep on going and then eat more damage. And I like that. It, It was it was really good. And the map is just set up so well of like the strategies to get in there are like plentiful but a lot of times you know there's a bastion sitting somewhere and the bastion can sit in a lot of different spots um there's a lot of good sniping spots for like hanzo or widowmaker uh lots of good spots for like torbjorn to set turrets up and then it's perfect and this happened to me i was playing diva and this was one of the most satisfying things we're up I forget. I forget the score, but we were winning. We did have two points in the first. It's first or three. I don't remember if the other team had scored or not. Um, regardless, we're trying to get the flag to win. And I was diva. The point is pretty wide open, so you walk up these steps, and there's two sets of steps. Then they can kind of converge into one, and then it's just this big open area with uh, some different platforms and that's where everybody's flags are so 
I just kind of went around the corner and said, screw it, threw my ultimate in there, killed four people on the other team at once. Uh, we ran in there, grabbed a flag, and then covered everybody's ass going back. And nice. It's good. It's it's a it's a neat map, and I I do like it. Um, another change that I really like is that if it's a draw, they move the flags really close mm. to each other, and and that just gets really intense because it's just this complete shit show, and everybody that was playing like. Hanzo or something now like it's just nothing but tanks out there just fighting each other and it's basically who outwills each other to grab the flag just a little bit to mm-hmm. bring it back and that that can lead to some really really solid moments there was one over time that lasted a pretty long time then another one we just slammed it down their throat and it took like four out of the six players on their team out immediately and then just rushed the other two and got it and it's cool. I think that, uh, that there's smart, smart changes there for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I always like capture the flag ga- games in shooters. I think that's that's one of my favorite game modes. I like, it's I like capture the flag in like in Halo. Yeah. I loved it when I when I played Halo. Oh yeah, I liked it, it in. Uh, I think Call of Duty Black Ops Two. It was that was a fun game mode for me. I I don't know. There's something about that game mode that it's just entertaining. Yeah, it's it's a it's just a classic, you know. It's classic, and and I think in Overwatch you you throw in the the different characters and the strategies that you can have with it, and it just really can take it to a whole other level when played properly by everybody, mm-hmm. you know. They do have a competitive capture to flag <laughs> playlist. And I'm like, mm, maybe, but you know, I'm sure that's a lot of fun. I just feel like I'd get my ass kicked in it more than usual. Yeah, uh, people go crazy in competitive modes. Yeah, they do. I go. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I played. You play anything else? Dude, Yakuza's zero is just so good. It is so good, Tyler. Tyler, I want to tell you about a sub story I played and it is magnificent. It is the most beautifully crafted thing ever. So for context, you're playing as this guy, Kiryu. He's like a 20 year old meathead Yakuza guy, gangster dude. The best things ever is when he has to interact with children because he has no fucking idea what he's doing because he's he's a young dude who doesn't have a kid of his own. Um, and this one sequence, you find this kid. He's alone without his parents. So you're like, yo, kid, why don't you go home? And he's like, I came here because my mom wouldn't let me buy this thing buy from this shiny vending machine. And so Kiri is like, all right, well, um, sure. I, I guess I'll buy the thing for you from the vending machine. And he comes, he, he go to the vending machine, vending machine selling porno mags. Oh, so Kiri was like there, there. He's like, I can't possibly do this. And then the kid calls him a liar. So Kiri was like, damn it. I don't want this kid to grow up like me, distrusting every adult ever in the world. So I kind of have to buy him this porno mag. 
Yeah. That's Kiryu's thought behind it. So as he goes to do it, like two store clerks from like, I guess they come out the back entrance of the store to take a break or something. So they're two ladies standing around this, uh, standing not around, but in between you and these porno mags in the vending machine. So you're like, all right, I have to back out. I have to back out of here. I can't be seen buying porno mags for a kid. So what ensues next is this stealth minigame where you're sneaking by different people and trying to get to the vending machine undetected. And so one of the people who can detect you is your secretary, because at this point in the game, Kiryu is president of a real estate company. And so your secretary can catch you and is like, oh, what are you doing out here? Is that your kid? And uh, uh, no, absolutely not. And then there's like these two two old ladies who might catch you, and they're like, "Oh, he's going. I know what he's going back there for. He must be a nasty man." And then the store store clerks uh, are like, "Are just like, funny. yo, what do you want?" They probably, I guess, they're used to people going back there buying porno mags. But yeah, like it's it's this whole mini game where you're just sne- dodging and sneaking by these people on your way to buy a porno mag for a child. And it is, I just think it's yeah. hilarious. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> I like that. Only Yakuza has. And there, like there's, that. there were other funny things too. I just wanted to highlight that, that one. I encountered some other side stories that were funny, but I don't want to give away too much. Cause that game is full of gems. Mm-hmm. So you, close to being finished with the story Dude, i'm getting so dis- i'm getting so distracted by these side stories man i have a i have about yeah. 30 hours in the game well it's pretty damn it good is, i i love it and if i knew if i knew japanese yeah. i would import a copy of yakuza 6 right but i don't know japanese which is it sounds it sounds good sorry i want to learn japanese someday That's that's one of my life goals. It it just sounds like a game where you literally really just lose yourself in the world and just have fun. Yeah, man. I I also got to a point in the story where it got super fucking twisted. Like you characters you thought were okay are totally not fucking okay. They're like evil sons of bitches. But the character you're playing, because you play as two characters, you play as Kiryu and Majima. And like you find a character on one side that if you're playing as the other character, you would be killing that motherfucker right away. But since you're playing as playing as Kiryu instead of Majima, it's no problem at all to him because he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mm, I love that game. Uh, best game since the game. Best game. Well, I think the game I've enjoyed the most story wise since the one that we're going to talk about next. Because Tyler, you finished Near Automata. I did all of it. All of it. All five. All five of, of the main endings. Yes. Tyler. Yeah, I mean, better better late than never. I know I'm, I'm almost a year late on this game, but, dude, it's, right. it's a game I think everybody So before we get play. into this, this is the point where there will be spoilers from here on out. And I guess until next week, have a good one. You know where to find us. 
at PS Report Podcast, PlayStation Report Podcast at gmail.com, at the Arctic Sloth, and at Plugged On Vids. That's where you can contact us. But from here on out, there's spoilers. Our hands are no longer tied. Tyler, tell me everything about Near Automata. So, when the hell did I do it? I finished B not long after last week's episode. And then I literally played all of C in one sitting. Mm-hmm. So that was like six or mm-hmm. seven hours. I yeah. just sat there. Because it and fucking goes. It rammed. It, it goes yeah. off. I mean, it goes places and I'm like, man, I, I do want to play something else right now, but I, I can't. This is just so good and I'm enjoying myself so much. I got to see this game to the end. Um, I actually... You know, before we get into any specifics, too, like when I finished C, I I just stopped for the night because it was getting kind of late. And I didn't realize how close I really was to the end of the game. And so I started playing the game again, thinking that D was its Mm -hmm. own thing again. I didn't know that it was just the other ending based off of of a choice. And then E just kind of happens. So I was playing the game like... This isn't right. I probably played 30 minutes of the game over again from the beginning. I'm like, mm, mm, when does this get different? Because this isn't mm-hmm. different or <laughs> whatever. And I was like, oh, that's probably what I got to yeah. do. But C is by a million miles when this game gets really good. And it's by a million miles of like why people talk about Nier Automata as a good game. I think A and B are good, but C is where it just takes off and it, and it truly becomes a very special story and a very powerful one and one that, you know, I think is one of my favorites in all of video games. It's probably just one of my favorite stories, period. Like there's so much about this story and about this world where they do give you a lot and they do explain a lot to you, but they don't explain enough to you. And, and, and I love that because it leaves so much up to inter- interpretation with a lot of things. And it just lets you mm. think on a lot of different shit. I love that about it. Oh man. So, Hmm. I don't, uh, let's see. How, how do we want to go at this? Like, let, what did you think of like the added stuff from how, like, how to be managed to survive the being having his body destroyed. Mm, I, I thought that was, that was interesting for sure. And I, I like liked, how he became like um, one with the robot net, how he like infiltrated the robot network mm-hmm. himself. I think. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought that was really well done. And I thought, you know, the discoveries he makes along the way were very, very cool as well. And it, you know, it, it B can be a little bit of a slog, and I do wish they they could have found a way to combine A and B into mm-hmm. one. Um, because when you're replaying the same exact sections with nothing new in them, it's like or whatever. But when you're doing stuff like that, like seeing how, um, you know how that stuff happened with Nine S and everything, it's like, you know, that stuff's cool to me. Mm-hmm. Oh man. 
All right. So, did you do any any of the side quests? Let's see. I I did the one where you uh, make the toys okay. for the children at uh, Pascal's village, which I loved. Um, it's such a with what happens after that. It's such a like gut wrenching mm-hmm. thing. You know, um, God, I'm trying to think of what else I did. Did you do the stuff for Devil and Popola? The redhead I twins? I did the first one. I did the first one, and it just kind of triggered in a weird fucking way. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And then I think I accidentally triggered a story thing, so then it triggered something So that else stuff and, persists between the two so, characters. Yeah. I'm not sure if you knew that. Yeah, I, I, okay. I knew that. And like I said, I did one of them, the first one, I think. Yeah, I know I did not do the second one. Did you get did you get the story moment at least before you enter the tower? What are you talking about? Explains their past. Okay. Yes, because that I did that. I'm not sure what's I what happened. All right. So let's first talk about what happened to Pascal. Like, holy shit, that that might be one of the saddest things that has ever happened to a robot. I think that's one of the saddest choices you have to make, Mm. period, in any video game. Like, that just hits you like a goddamn fucking monster truck. And And going out like that too like he had such a great moment of like I'm going to protect the children and he and you get to play one of those fucking Goliaths yeah, and get like, this insane fight and, this otherwise a pacifist uh, realize he has to like sacrifice his values to protect his children basically like yes and, and, and when you get to the village and the village is on fire I was just like no 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 like I don't want this to happen because in a world that's so just fucked up and depressing, like when you're running around that world, it's depressing. Pascal's village was like a beacon of hope and light in that world to me in something that just kind of made me smile. And I'm not saying that just because of the music, like I just loved being in that mm-hmm. village, you know, and when that happens to him and, and they, you know, a lot of the some of the robots just kind of. The machines, I guess you should say, just kind of go insane, start killing one another. Like, uh, it just made me so sad, mm-hmm. you know. But then it leads up to this just incredible moment of taking over the Goliath to protect the children. But then you go back in after that, and that's when the gut-wrenching moment yeah, really like, happens to me. And it's one of those things where you have to think back on it because – in the choice, like, I'm not sure what you. I, I think you got context for this beforehand, but like Pascal taught those children very human things, and one of them being fear, yes. because Pascal oh. himself was afraid that they, without fear, that they would go and get themselves destroyed. So he taught them fear, so yeah. they'd have self-preservation. But having that backfire, in a way where these kids, these robot children. Machine children committed suicide, and it just broke Pascal. Yeah, it really did, and and that was one of those just jaw dropping moments to me, where I was like, "Oh 
that's not good. Because here, you know, he kind of had to sacrifice his values to fight. But then, you know, teaching some of his values of humans and everything actually ended up also backfiring Mm -hmm. on him. So, like, everything about him in that moment kind of kind of all backfired yeah. on him and it, it made me sad because he's such a it's such a just a phenomenal character in in that world in in, in in pascal just felt like something that was a little bit more to me than than any of the other characters in that world you know What'd you choose? Oh, God, I made the wrong choice, actually. Like, I erased his memories. I didn't know you could leave without erasing his memories. Yeah, I erased his memories as well. And that... I didn't... Look, look, I, I'm with you. I did not know yeah, you could like, do that. Yeah, like, I only learned that afterwards, and now I, I feel like... I feel like that is the correct choice to leave him with his memories. Because that's the, that's the only so he, way, like, yeah. he can truly, like... He his whole life has been about learning about humanity and what it means to be human. And one of the things about mm-hmm. being human is like living with tragedy, like get yes. getting through difficult times. That's one of that's a very human thing. And mm-hmm. that, uh, to take that from him, even though he might not want it, is kind of betraying who he is as a person. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt. And going through when you're doing it and, and erasing his memories, I was like, shit, it's wrong choice, mm-hmm. wrong choice. It's such a sad thing. Like, uh, why? You know, just one of those things that was just like, hey, this just makes me really sad. <laughs> so uh, I was also having having some dranky drinks while I was playing oh, yeah. this game too, and I'm just like, man, a combination of the two right now. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's it is not a happy game. <laughs> it, it really isn't. In in while A and B, you know, you, you see the depressing side of them, but you know, you felt like. <sighs> Like soldiers mm-hmm. in a way you're, you're accomplishing your mission You're getting it done And it ends on a sort of ha- sad but happy note C is just all out fucking mm-hmm. depressing From start to finish Like there's nothing happy about C at all You know if it, Like if you just want to get completely Sucked into a game world And then fucking fucked up emotionally And tore down Play Route C of Nier Automata <laughs> Because I'll do it. So the biggest like Pascal was like, damn, to me. But the biggest thing in storyline that I just thought was just incredible and the biggest bomb to me. And also, I went into playing Nier Automata without knowing literally nothing about the first Nier or any of the Guard games. So but knowing that humanity's extinct at this point and then when you learn about what the your high units actually mm-hmm. are and what their purpose is and what their ultimate fate is always meant to be that I was like fuck <laughs> like shit dude like this just I don't I, I, I don't know how I feel right now because uh, basically they're they're all like the Yorha the, the project Yorha was just 
kind of a a fake mm-hmm. thing in order to inspire confidence in in the androids to keep on fighting to restore humanity but some restoring humanity that in a world that is just so far gone but they were always meant to fucking die at some point and then when you learn what ha- what to be yes. is actually all about being to e and was eventually always going to kill and then under- no understanding why she was always standoffish with him it's, yes in uh, understanding then why she did what she did um getting herself killed which mm-hmm. i thought was crazy because because you could tell that like you could tell her she's being standoffish and like trying to remain a little distant but they both really really developed feelings mm-hmm. for each other and she just didn't want to hurt him but she knew in the end she was going to have to because that's how she's designed mm-hmm. holy guacamole bro that's just deep shit yeah it's Holy hell. <laughs> and when and when they actually killed Tubi, I was like, hmm, there's no way. No way. Like, they're going to pull some plot thing. Tubi's like the main character in this game. There's no way they're killing Tubi right now, and there's still several hours left. And I know, like, Tubi kind of becomes A2 mm-hmm. in a way. And, and also, you, you know, you learn more about A2 and, and her purpose and all that stuff. And I, I still think it was an extremely well-written story, but also just a what a bold decision mm-hmm. to do of like 2B is the face of this game right now. And when you think near Automata, you think 2B and we're just going to kill her. And there's still several story beats left. I think that makes for powerful and bold storytelling and stuff that's going to stick mm-hmm. with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think where the game like truly turned on its head, like I I know already knowing about the whole Yorha thing and everything, but when 9S discovers that androids and machines are made of the same stuff yes and just his, just his denial of it because he he cannot believe mm-hmm. that that's the truth yeah, i think that is that part it, it broke me because like he doesn't he he has the facts in front of him but he he can't will himself to believe it yeah his whole descent into insanity to me was just really sad because I, I liked him as a character. I liked his attitude of just like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I'll do it. Or, you know, I just like liked his character and personality. And then he just loses and th- it. Throughout that, throughout the whole reasons. like sea route, like having this the interactions between the pods and having them network and then discover things and then going against what they what they are told to do like try having different interpretations of what the rules mean and that stuff and just having them try like knowing that these that 9s will try to kill a2 and just trying to keep them apart but also being concerned about each one of them and their progress i think that i think that's a pretty cool thing also there's just so many yeah. layers to this. So would you? I know, and that's the thing. There's just it's such a complex story where it's one that you just think about all the time. And you're like, oh yeah, I see why that makes sense, or damn, that's that's really deep or smart storytelling. It just 
it's such a clever thought out thing to me that I just love like I love post-apocalyptic sci-fi sort of stories like this like it's one reason why I really enjoyed Horizon Zero Dawn's world is is because of this sort of stuff I think Nier's is a little bit more interesting overall but I love shit like this what do you think of the tower I thought well, when it when that came out of the ground and when you discover the purpose of the tower and all sorts that of shit thing, like that, that was I did not see that coming at all. Like no. just this huge white tower just bursting out from underneath the city. Like where the hell has that been? I know it's so it's so crazy and and what a build up of a moment too because you're playing 9S and you see um A2 killing 2B not in 9S doesn't really know why he just thinks A2 just killed mm-hmm. 2B um but really 2B was a goner anyways cuz she was infected um and then just this tower just comes out of the ground and the, the music is just so like soft at that point and the camera just pulls out and it's like <sighs> okay like take a deep breath because it's still a fucking wild ride from there but that build up was crazy and, and the way that C starts too I just loved because it's just like we have the Yora and Yorha and we're going to go win this motherfucker yeah. and it's just like all out war and action the music's just loud and blaring and it's epic and you're fighting all over the place and then the twist and then it's just nothing but downhill mm-hmm. from there it's like fuck damn that twist was was pretty pretty damn crazy too where the machines put a virus into all of the your your units that end up turning them and then you end up killing almost all of them and the destruction of the bunker like holy guacamole dude it's just one thing mm-hmm. after another <laughs> yeah and i i want to before we get into the tower and what happens post like getting into the tower and all that stuff i want to talk about devil and popola because that is that might yeah. be that's a, that's a easy runner up to like to what uh to what happened to pascal but uh, it's also like kind of it's a little bit more relatable than what happened to pascal like especially in just in actual history what what happens uh, like Devil and Popola are like two like of androids of this this line of model that was overseeing uh, this Project Assault. Um, Project Assault was a project that was supposed to preserve humanity by pulling their consciousness out of their bodies and storing it. Um what a crazy which is a, which is a thing is from too. which is a thing from the original <laughs> near which makes me feel like I I want to go back and play the original near now. <laughs> I know me too. <laughs> I might have to boot up the PS3. Uh Yeah. But yeah, like it, and then like these two specific units like had nothing to do with something that happened to like other units of their model in which that th- those those other two units destroyed the project. Like they, they totally fucked mm-hmm. it up. And because of that, 
all the other androids thought that these two models were just as bad as them just for the actions of others and kept blaming them and kept like persecuting them and so they were they were like on the run forever and just like in looking out for each other but they wouldn't fight back because they through all of this somehow they felt the guilt for what those other units did even though it had nothing to do with them and they didn't know why they felt guilty and it is just sad that they all they all they want to do is, is help but they can't because nobody will accept yeah. them yeah yeah it, it, it is a really really sad story with them and another one of those stories i'm just like fuck it's just so just like well, yeah and well just written. the parallels between that and like how persecution works in in real life where like fucking assholes kill off like commit genocide because they don't like a few people and they just categorize the like other people who have a thing in common Mm -hmm. yeah And, and that's one thing i love about this game of like it gets into so many just concepts and thoughts about humanity and like who we are even right now that i i love it gets into like you know structures of how like different societies are set up and different thoughts in in how humans interact with each other and care for one another and potentially sacrifice each other and when something bad happens to to one of them how you just can fall apart emotionally and it's like even even with them being machines and and androids like they're they're adapting human thoughts and having those feelings and it's just it's just a lot of like overarching themes of who we are as creatures today you know it is such a human story (laughs) with no fucking humans it really is it really fucking is man And in like the whole like you know, you have the Yorha who are set up like very strict, very military, like very, this is our order. This is your role, whatever. Then you have, you know, the Forest Kingdom, which is set up more like old school, which we still have some of those sort of things today. Like you have a king and everybody's there protecting the king and serving the king. And then you have these just religious, crazy fucking machines over here and then this more free thinking different sort of society over in pascal's and i i just love that i i love those different setups in this world and i think it's one thing that makes it incredibly unique you know yeah and also another faction like the resistance androids which are completely separate from yorha they were like pretty much abandoned at the point where like there were no no more humans so they they clung on to the yorha as being like kind of the people giving orders to them because they they only knew a structure where they had they had like people telling them what to do yeah man near is so damn good it is so damn good really is and uh, the stuff that happens in the tower like it's i think it's it's quite a spectacle but i i don't think any of like i'm not sure how the story beats line up like 
really well. I think I think the whole concept of like the network being a totally separate thing from like e- the, either the machine or the Android network. I think that's like that's fucking batshit insane. Like this AI net networking thing and how you pit them against each other and stuff in that one scene. Mm-hmm. I th- that is bizarre because I did not think there was like even another element between. <laughs> between this and somehow late in the last like five hours of the game they introduce this this whole new character that's like the mastermind yep and so good yeah it is it is really good so you get to the final scene in final fight in the tower and I honestly I, I didn't even think it was the final thing at all mm-hmm. um, it, where it all builds up of 9S finally going after A2 who'd you pick who was your my first, first choice? choice was to play as uh, shit I forget which I think I did it 9S first because I knew I was going to do both of them but I, I did 9S yeah. first and that one that that was weird like take me on your journey machines i am ready to go mhm yeah i thought that i thought that was really weird too but i thought it also made sense of how a2 ultimately ended up mm-hmm. killing him you know cuz a2 kind of becomes 2b in mm-hmm. a way or 2e and yeah that was just like, holy shit, sort of thing. But then, yeah, the whole thing with the tower, I was like, hmm, all right, this is weird. Let's go. Let's get on a spaceship. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I chose A2 yeah. first, actually. Um, and I, because I didn't think it was the end, I thought there was a lot more. And so I thought A2, you know, I, I just thought like 9S is long mm-hmm. gone. At this point, like there's no saving 9S regardless of what I do. So he's got to go. That's just how I I felt about it. And the whole time I was like, fuck, like this just makes me sad. And they're like, it also brought me to another thing of like, I think like the localization and the voice acting in this game is really well done. And like the actor that did 9S's voice acting, I think it's just fucking great, especially during that scene or that final fight when he's just like yelling at A2. I'm like, this is really, really well done. It just brings out something in this that I think without it, it wouldn't feel the same. You know, it's just that extra thing on top. But so you do both of them and then. The credits. And then ending E. Ending E is like, it is, it was beautiful. It was beautiful how they executed that. Cause like having, so it basically turns into the twin stick shooter hacking mode uh, that you play through in, in route B, but you're attacking the credits as they come down, killing Square Enix employees. <laughs> I, can't, I don't know, but... They tell you that like it's you you might not be able to get through this on your own. Like there's this risk factor that the pods explain to you as you're doing this. And eventually it does like I think at the point where you get to like the Square Enix publishing bit is where it like just ramps up in a way where it just feels impossible. And they keep asking if you want to continue and these messages pop up. Yeah. 
do you think games are silly things do you think it's all like all a lie or whatever it's like all right this is great and then i probably tried that part not knowing i was scared to hit accept the offer because i thought it would like restart mm-hmm. me or something like i didn't know what it would do so i kept hitting no i pr- i seriously probably tried that 20 times on my own and i got through yeah not that much of it because that is fucking brutal and i'm like i need to finish this how the fuck did anybody finish this i was getting so mad and then i'm just like eh, whatever i'll just hit accept offer yeah. and see what it oh, see what it does and then i was like this is how you do yeah it, it is shit. it is a beautiful awesome. thing but like there's a hor- horrible realization that like when you get hit in that mode you're losing other people's save data that they have sacrificed yeah to let you yeah you- i know so even then it's like oh shit i do not want to get hit because if i get hit it is a waste of all their time playing this game yeah yep. did you make the correct choice at the end I did not sacrifice myself. Do you do you plan on going? Do you plan on going back and eventually, once you're done with the game, doing that at least? I I, see. see, I I kind of felt like a regret afterwards of like I should do it, sort of thing. So I I think I still might do it. Um, I don't know. Did you do it? Did you sacrifice? No, but I I do plan on doing it once I've platinum the game, and I don't feel like platinuming the game the cheap way. I want to actually do the. do the thing so yeah i after i get the platinum legitimately i will sacrifice my data so that others may use it mm-hmm. but god that is such a powerful yeah. thing and i did not expect it to hit me that as hard as it did but like the realization at the end of it like what what it meant like when like you see these little messages like so-and-so's data lost and then yeah. you realize, oh, shit. Yeah, this is this is like hundreds of hours that are protecting me here that are mm-hmm. it, it is a beautiful thing. Yes, it really is. It's a, it's a fantastic ending and it's something that I did not expect at all. And I think that's the one thing with near like they just keep throwing major thing after major thing in none of it you saw coming at all like it's just a wild fucking roller coaster that is just an absolute blast to play and i'll be honest with you it's 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 one of my favorite games mm-hmm. i've ever played i mean it really is i think if i think back on my 2017 game of the year list i think it would slot in at number two for me but fuck fuck <laughs> It's just, it's it's a masterpiece in storytelling. I don't know if I would call the the whole game a masterpiece. It's just one of those kind of like flawed games that is just so good you don't even care, you know. Like in the things that it's good at, it is the best at. Who cares? Exactly. It's a phenomenal game, and it's a game that I do wish everyone would play. I really do. I know it did sell well and it had good buzz throughout the year, but man, I wish this game sold 25 million fucking copies and everybody was playing this game because it's it's worth your time. It's worth the investment. And I don't know if really see, I think saying like playthroughs might turn Mm -hmm. people off. 
it's really only it's like three campaigns mm-hmm. practically. And those campaigns will take you anywhere from six to 12 hours each, depending on how much in time investment you put in a side quest, you know, because once you finish the third, then you can immediately do the other choice. That's the fourth. And then the fifth happens automatically pretty much. Yeah. Um, so really it's, it's just three separate campaigns yeah. you could say, but they all tie together in an mm-hmm. amazing way. <laughs> and when you look at it overall as a, as a whole story, it's amazing. It, 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 I just think it's some of the best characters I've ever experienced in a game. Some of the best writing ever, like just phenomenal game. Yeah. So, so now what do you think of Yokotaru doing a Final Fantasy? I think it would be great, but I don't think Square Enix would let him do what he did with Nier because it's Final Fantasy. Mm. If, if, they, if they did not put any chains on him and said fucking go do it, like with Nier, I would be all about him doing a Final Fantasy game because I think that's something Final Fantasy would just... I mean, I like 15 a lot, but it's like just some just batshit mm-hmm. fucking nuts, you know? I, I think that would be phenomenal, but it just would depend on how much hands-on, you know, Square Enix would want to be because Final Fantasy is, you know, one of its biggest properties. Oh, man. What what do you, because they have confirmed that a new Nier game is in development. Like, what do you think they're going to do? Oh, man. It depends what the canonical ending is. I yeah, think, I mean, they, I think, they did hmm. leave it open after ending E, that final cutscene of like some, some really, something really interesting there, but like everything's fucking gone. So like, what do you do? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think maybe what happens is the canonical ending is when like the ship goes off. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it probably doesn't happen on earth. It probably like, it's probably in the far flung future and that these machines, like all this data just gets dropped on another planet mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens from there. Do you, this is going to get really weird. Do you see, uh, it might not happen in our lifetime, but do you see something like this happening to humanity? Like us trying to preserve our actions and emotions and thoughts into machine like things and AI and humans become extinct. I I think that's absolutely possible. If uh, a, like we don't take care of the global warming, the climate change problem that we're having, I think it's definitely possible that we are forced to find a way to preserve, like there'll be different people trying to do different things. And I would not be surprised if someone is trying to store human consciousness in a form that is, that will survive whatever happens to the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because ultimately humans will lead to their own downfall. Probably there's kind of no other way, you know, it's either like global warming, global, you know, sort of cassette catastrophe, blah, or aliens, fucking nuclear aliens. annihilation. Like you thought, I thought at Maybe. some point in this game, the aliens would become a factor, but no, they're fucking dead. <laughs> Dude, I, I know. And that's the crazy thing. Like, fucking Jesus. Like, 
humanity said and aliens are dead. I'm like, at some point, one of these two have to come into play, and none of them do. Which I think takes it to a whole nother level, you know? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. It is great. It is one of the I think it's the best story ever told in video games. It's up there. I'm in the last of us camp. I think the last of us is is a goddamn masterpiece of storytelling, but I would absolutely put near Automata in a top five, maybe even top three. When I think of stories, I think of what somebody says, what's some of the best video game stories? The three I always think of, and I think throwing Near Automata into that conversation, I'm going to think of Near Automata, I'm going to think of The Last of Us, and I'm going to think of Red Dead Redemption. All right. Those are the three that I always right. go to. I mean, there's some great stories, but those three, I think, stand pretty tall mm-hmm. above the rest. But then also, like, fucking, I would throw Wolfenstein 2 up there. In my opinion, it's a really well done story. All right. Maybe that's a top 10. I don't know. We, yeah, we should do we should. that sometime. We should save this content for some other time. We should wrap up. We should wrap I up agree. this show. This show has gone. Whew, it's a long one. I know. I know how y'all love those long podcasts out there. I know we mentioned it earlier. Uh, you can find us. Contact us at PlayStation Report Podcast at gmail.com at PS Report Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at The Arctic Sloth, and you can find Tyler and his YouTube channel at Plugged On Vids. Y'all are going to go watch that Black Panther this weekend. I can, I, I, I assume I'm correct in saying that if all goes well and you can actually see the movie, you'll have something up on it. Probably at some point. All right. Sounds good. Let's get out of here, Tyler. Until next time, everybody, be good to each other, play your video games, and get your taxes done.